Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday, the 6th of May, 2015. Joining me is Steve Withers. You don't crucify people, not on Good Friday. Mark Hodgkinson. I want verbals with you. Mark Botwright. Going out like a raspberry ripple. And Ed Selly. Frostbite or verbals. Hello and uh, welcome to May. Unfortunately, we can't do the May the 4th be with you joke because that was the bank holiday and um, we're recording this today after the bank holiday. So sadly, um, we missed out on the Star Wars placement there, but I'm sure we'll mention Star Wars at some point in this podcast. Uh, just to kick on quickly, latest competitions at Kingston uh, HyperX Cloud Gaming Headphones. Uh, closing date is the 18th of May and two competitions going up at the same time as this podcast. So they should be there by the time you listen to this. Uh, 55 days at Peking on Blu-ray and the Dirty Harry Collection on Blu-ray. So look out for those. And previous competition winners, Krish won the Night of the Museum 1-3 Blu-rays and Rainbow 18 won the Paddington Blu-ray. So uh, well done there. Right, let's move on to hardware news and Steve's going to kick us off. Well... Basically, there's been some new new announcements for AV receivers uh, from Pioneer and from Monkeo. And uh, what's interesting is that these are much much lower tier receivers. Uh, price points are around a 450 to 500, 599 price point. And they have Dolby Atmos. So we're seeing Dolby Atmos now filtering into the, uh, what I would call the sort of entry level uh, AV receiver price point of around 450, 500 quid. Um, and that's interesting because obviously, first of all, they aren't including any uh, DTSX. Obviously, that hasn't been officially launched yet. That isn't going to be till later in the summer. And I'm guessing it needs a new chipset, and uh, it will only be available initially on some of the higher, um, higher end models, higher end AV receivers. But at the moment, it looks like you know, could, because I guess it was out a year earlier. Atmos is beginning to get some foothold in terms of um, installer base, in terms of the actual number of receivers that are capable of decoding Atmos are out there in the marketplace, so much higher. Uh, and also, we're starting to see more, um, you know, more content coming. I mean, we've got nine announced so far. Um, actually, I think it might even be 10 uh, Blu-rays with, with Dolby Atmos soundtracks. And uh, also announced last week, uh, the PC version of Star Wars Battlefront will include Dolby Atmos as well. So that's interesting. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you mentioned chipsets and the price point. Um, this is obviously Pioneer and Onkyo, who are more or less the same company these days, getting out their budget range and obviously get rid of the chips. Probably, yeah. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, I mean, there's content and there's reasonably priced um, receivers and you can talk the wife and let you put the speakers on the ceiling or at least buy some upward firing or, speakers. let's face it, Pioneer is, uh, they, they're out of the box. They have a speaker package with inbuilt upward firing drivers. Only if you have That's a true. flat ceiling that you can use it with, though. And even then... Well, do you yeah. live in an artificial cave? I'd, I'd, sorry, well, no, some, pe- some people have... Uh, well, actually, we've been asked on Twitter a couple of times, Ed, people who with vaulted ceilings and um, loft conversions and barn conversions and that kind of thing. Pointless for them. I've got a two-metre ceiling. It is flat. It's not, a, it's not a loft conversion. It's a lounge. It worked pretty well, by all accounts, uh, and it ha- took up no more space than a standard full-size five-channel speaker package. So at least Pioneer have something approaching a solution. I mean, yes, you're right. If you've got loft conversions, vaulted ceilings, these are all problems. But that said, placement of multi-channel speakers in, in these spaces has been demanding full stop. Fundamentally, adding more speakers to it is not going to make it less demanding. The, you're, you are unfortunately in a position where you are difficult to cater for. Uh, Steve, people who are probably interested in, in adding Dolby Atmos, are they going to wait for DTSX and bypass these receivers? Depends on your budget, I suppose, isn't it, really? Um, if you're looking for a receiver right now and you're looking for something in the 500 quid price point, these are looking quite attractive. I mean, they're well-spec receivers, both very good companies who make excellent receivers. Atmos in there, uh, seven channels. You've got to think, um, I can get myself a 5.1.2 uh, setup going straight away. Um, both, as Ed's mentioned, both as manufacturers do make upward firing speakers, some of them built into other speakers as well, so it keeps it nice and tidy. Yeah, I think it's going to be going to be worth considering. What I did like about what was said in the DTS interview, and if you haven't listened to it yet, it is there in the podcast two episodes back if you go and listen to it, was the fact that there seemed to be quite a switch to either go with the Dolby Atmos layout, basically. It can go to any layout, but it seemed to be pointing towards that. And what I did like as well was that height speakers were specifically mentioned rather than overhead and ceiling speakers. So do you think more people would get away with putting height speakers at the front than doesn't it really on your layout for example in my particular case it's a non-starter because the screen fills up the entire wall there would be nowhere for me to put height speakers overhead speakers i could do albeit difficult but i can do it uh height speakers real issue um i imagine for most people though it's probably going to be easier to put two speakers up on the wall at the front of the room than it is to put speakers on the ceiling because i'm thinking that it's always better to have 
a speaker in, in a position where you want the sound to come from rather than bouncing it off wall Z. I know why they're doing that, because it makes it more relevant to people and, and people can get away with it. But surely it should always be better to have an actual speaker in place there. Well, the purest solution is always going to be better, but we've managed to prove beyond reasonable doubt that you know we, we've stuck at five speakers as the commercial max as the real world maximum norm for you know actual home speaker packages for the vast majority of people. So adding more, be they on the ceiling, be they at the top of of, of a front wall, it's still a big ask. In as much as these things, if they have any relevance at all. Upward firing is better than it not being used at all, and I think upward firing is about the maximum that most people are going to use. Really? So, so, so really, you, what you're saying is it's worth having upward firing and having Dolby Atmos. There, there's a definite uh, plus point to having that rather than just sticking with 5.1. Um, it's still going to hinge on material, but you know, I've heard heard enough of it to think, yeah, you know, it could be, it it, it could be worth doing. My my point is that. If more people follow the pioneer route of just building it into certain speakers in their range, it's if you like it's it it's either a null cost or limited cost option with no real alteration to your to your actual footprint of equipment. So if you like it's value added rather than something which you need to put in significant sort of modifying and building time for. So with that in mind, again, that's where the upward fire scores. I think if you uh, if you buy if you want to buy a you know a four fifty or five hundred quid AV receiver and get some upward firing speakers and basically go for an Atmos setup now, I don't think you're going to lose out because you, you, there's gonna, there is already Atmos content you can buy and listen to, and if it comes to the worst case and eventually you want to add DTSX and buy a different receiver, you can still use your speaker layout for DTSX, uh, and I'm, I should imagine you could still use your upward firing speakers if you wanted to as well. Right, so, so, so you're not going to lose out necessarily. So Pioneer do up, upward firing. Uh, who else? I believe Kef do. And, and are, are, are we talking about reasonable prices here? Because you're talking about a 450 quid receiver. So what price are you looking at that we're firing the speakers at? Well, some... is a whisker out. I think it's about 1300 1, which is high but not impossible for a £500 receiver. Um, Sorry, is, and... that, is that full five-speaker layout? Yes. Right. It's a, and it, and that, those front speakers so, so are floor you, standards so and you, have meaningful you base in their own right. So you can't buy... Upward firing units on their own and just yes, add you can, them. You can, you can, you can, you definitely can. From yeah, who? I know. Yes, Onkyo do, Kef do, Kef do. Um, I don't know the prices, but people are, are working on it. But they do do them. Um, you know, and, and like I said, you could add it. I mean, what the good thing is, you could buy the receiver, have a five point one setup, and then if you want to, you can add upward firing speakers or overhead speakers if you want to go that way at a later date. If it, you end up changing later on for something that does both Atmos and DTSX or DTSX becomes a predominant format, then you've still got the speakers you could use. So I don't think you're going to necessarily lose out. And in the meantime, you can enjoy some Atmos content right now. I, I re-watched John Wick at the weekend in order to add an Atmos section to the Blu-ray review that we're going up this week. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a great film, but I thought the soundtrack was awesome in Atmos. Really, really good. So you know, there is there is potential there if you want to do that. No. That were firing speakers that I've seen that add on to things, and I'd, I'll admit here I've only seen one set, and it was the Onkyo stuff at CES. But what struck me, Steve, I don't know if you had a close look at these, were um, these upward firing speakers were made of chipboard, really cheap, they put together, and the driver didn't look like it cost much more than ten dollars. Are we suggesting that that's what people are, should be using? In well, in I, I think there'll be there'll be uh, varying price points. There's going to be some really cheap ones just to get people on board. And then if you want to go really expensive ones, I'm sure that'll be an option as well. Um, I don't think the AV industry has ever missed a chance to sell something for, well, for a lot the, of money. The, can. The, the other obviously question here is then um, what is the what is the frequency range when we're talking about adding in these extra channels, Ed? I guess it's going to again come down to the implementation. The only implementation I've used, um, Pioneer were claiming that the upwards were good down to about 60 hertz. Um, I rolled them off a little bit higher than that as they looked a bit on the small side. But it's techni- technically the Dolby Atmos signal. It's for the object-based stuff. What is the it's frequency? Band- it should be full bandwidth. Full bandwidth any, is any it? of the speakers actually. But you're right, Ed. I mean, certainly on the speaker, the receivers that I've reviewed, you could you could theoretically um, have your overheads um, down as low as sixty. But um, you know, I, I was using eighty, which was appropriate for the speakers in question. But um, yeah, I mean, they should. I mean, theoretically, if you're talking about moving an object around a room and it being, you know, you're not being able to discern any difference, then you should be using uh, full bandwidth in every speaker. I think we've done Dolby Atmos to death, really. <laughs> Coming up next, DTSX. 
in the summer. <laughs> but it, it is interesting that obviously Pioneer and Ankyo have gone with their budget receivers this year and they're introducing Atmos at the higher end of that. So we're talking 450 to 500, is that right? Interesting it's coming into that price range. Um, do we have any decent content yet? You said there's like 10 discs coming, but is there any, is, well, is there any um, upcoming discs that I think people might be interested in, Jupiter Ascending is coming out with an Atmos soundtrack. American Sniper is coming out with an Atmos soundtrack. American um, Sniper, now that's interesting because that's the first film where, let's face it, it is actually quite a decent, critically acclaimed piece of work in its own right. And it's not, it, don't get me wrong, it's got effects in it, but it's not, and it's not an effects-driven film. So that's that's a very, that's an interesting addition because even in the case of Gravity, which I need to stress, I don't think is a bad film. It's still effects driven to a greater or lesser extent. So if you like, that's a very American Sniper is the first time you've mentioned. There's one film, other I film think. made. Um, I've I've got it, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet in Atmos, which is Unbroken, the Young Neil Jolie film. Um, oh, I right. mentioned it last week's podcast. That's got an Atmos soundtrack as well. So we're starting to see. Yeah, you're right. We're starting to see. You know, I don't mean you mean real films, but you know, dramatic films aren't <laughs> effects driven. <laughs> Proper movies, <laughs> proper films. Yeah, you know, dramatic films aren't effects-driven using Atmos soundtrack. And, for example, even though there's a lot of shooting in John Wick, there's a sequence where there's two people, characters, talking to each other, and they're underneath the elevated train. And, you know, you can hear the trains rumbling over your head as they're talking. I mean, it, it, there are plenty of areas where, you know, you can, this can make him, you know, this can add value in terms of sound design. So it's not just a gimmick, I don't think. And, um, um, yeah, but you're right, it'll be interesting to see, or rather hear, how um, how perhaps less effects-driven movies uh, come across in Atmos. Mr. Bonnet, you got anything to say about Atmos? Um, well, I mean, the the news that it will be um, used for Star Wars Battlefront is obviously at least pushes it into the gaming sphere, but I, I'm not sure that that really warrants it. In, in cinematic terms, I'll echo what Ed says. It, it all depends on content and how it's shown off with that. There are a lot of things that are effects-driven. You know, it, it can certainly increase your appreciation of the film or at least make it more more bearable, but you want to see something something serious, something that you would enjoy anyway. So the kind of film that if it were on TV, you'd watch it anyway, and you want to see that kind of thing kind of brought to a new level. Once they start showing off content like that, then obviously I think I'll be a lot more interested. I would imagine that the perfect place for Dolby Atmos is with VR. You know what? It, it's tough to say with that kind of thing because bear in mind also that within that setup, you're going to be moving your head around and so you're not going to be within a fixed position. So therefore, I don't know how much leeway there is within I guess, something I, like At I guess, Atmos. I guess it imagines on, I'd imagine it would work on whatever plane you're moving your head. So if you're moving your head on the horizontal, then they can do that with 5.1. And if you were looking up and down, then they could use Atmos for that effect and planes, helicopters, that kind of thing flying overhead. I would have thought, mind, I don't know much about games, but I would have thought it would have added to the, to the atmosphere and the, the realism. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, things like vertical effects have often been the kind of um, downfall of of games trying to envelop you in, in sound simply because it, it's just it's very hard to evoke that and you you there are lots of times where you'll be looking up or down and then you just tend to get more of a kind of muffled noise from the front speakers um but with vr i think the problem will be that i mean depending on exactly where the the placement is if you're turning 360 degrees or something like that um you know some games have have trouble enough with keeping it pinpoint with 5.1 so uh, you know it, it would require some significant effort to get it to work but if if it if they could manage to get it to work you know i mean something like star wars battlefront would certainly be spectacular with that i mean we, we've been reviewing some gaming headsets but um i suppose if you were adding atmos into the mixer you, what you could use is uh, one of those australian hats couldn't you and instead of the corks hanging down from them you could just put little speakers yeah well i mean look i mean we, we, a lot of people are using these um you know headphones with virtual 7.1 so i think you know the kind of end game for that kind of thing is almost like a motorcycle helmet which is one giant speaker I've got. I envision. You remember in Back to the Future when he first finds Doc, Doc back in the fifties is wearing that bizarre contraption <laughs> on his head. I think something like that might be quite appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> there is a Dolby Atmos headphone mode though, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There's also it's, DTSX head, headphone mode. Yeah. Well, that's been out for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. But, yeah. Uh, I think it might lend itself to games because one of the things that um, Wilfred Van Balen said to us, who's the guy that invented Aura 3D, he said to us at CES, Phil, was um, the problem with object-based sound design is that. You know, you're building everything from scratch using objects. What you can't just do is go out with a microphone and record the real world. 
So I guess in a game perspective or with an animated film where everything is built up from scratch, that kind of makes sense. Whereas if you're just trying to record, you know, ambient sounds in, in a street or something like that, you're limited in terms of using object based. Whereas what he was saying was his format, you know, where he goes in with microphones and records that three layered recording. Uh, he can do that. Might be might, might might apply quite well to games actually. I've been quite amazed when I have heard five point one soundtracks with games and the the ability that when you turn your character around the sound feel changes with you. That always amazed me the real time uh, surround stuff. So it'd be interesting to see, I suppose. Um, and uh, Star Wars Battlefront, I might even buy that game. I'm definitely buying that. It looks awesome. <laughs> There you go, Mark. All it took was Star Wars to turn us into gamers. <laughs> I was going to say, I think there are a lot of things that will be tying into Star Wars fever come the end of the year. Oh, God, loads. There's been so many... Um, there's a whole shed load of stuff coming out from Disney tying in with the new Star Wars film, books that fill in gaps and all, you know games and all kinds of stuff. Well, there's a, there's a midnight opening for the toys, the Kenner line yeah. of toys. There's going to be midnight openings. And more empty early bird boxes. The, I'll be hanging on in for the Candy Crush tie-in. I'm not going to move until then. What happened to Angry Birds or is that not hip anymore? Huh? Oh, that, they did their Star Wars tie-in ages ago. Oh, right, they oh, did. They? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> went too soon. <laughs> there's always room for a sequel, haven't there? <laughs> there's always room for a sequel, Mark. Um, you've been pretty quiet on the whole Atmos thing. Yeah, I've been, I've been, <laughs> I've been attending to my daughter. Uh, yeah, well, I think possibly said this while I was out of the room, but um, you know, the likes of Samsung and LG with their. Uh, all in one systems. I think we'll see that next year. I think we'll see Atmos emerge into that. I'm, I'm surprised yeah. it's not this year because. Yeah, they, I think maybe it was just, it was just a bit too early. Yeah, because yeah, their design is that they already have the driver point up exactly. to the ceiling anyway, yeah. don't they? So it wouldn't yeah, it take so much. It's already there, it's already done. I mean, and it, it's kind of effective. So even the processing is sort of kind of effective. It, it hurts my ears after a while, but when you've got the uh, heights on. But uh, I think, I guess with Atmos, it might be a bit more effective. And I, yeah, I fully predict that we'll see that next year in these uh, mainstream all-in-one systems. Okay, uh, Mark, I'm going to stay with you for this next question. So how long do you think it'll be before um, it's really difficult to buy a large screen full HD TV? Three years. I think it'll be bottom of the range. Like seven, you can get 720 As, as long as that? I think it'll yeah. be quicker than that, Mark. I think it'll be yeah. quicker think than next that. next year you'll be struggling to find anything full HD that's not just le- like less than 32 inches. Really? I think you'll struggle, really struggle. Uh, I, I would say a little bit longer than that. Judging by the way, 720p sort of hog around a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be, what's LG now, about 60% of the market? Of well, well the, thing that, but the thing that brought this to mind was um, the fact that when we went to the Panasonic convention, um, we struggled to find a 1080p screen because yeah, the whole range is 4K. Yeah. yeah, and there's about three models that are that are full HD, and then I had that forty inch in which um, the JU sixty four hundred. Now the sixty four hundred is usually the the real mid tier uh, TV in Samsung's range. It's always the one that scores really well in terms of uh, views on our reviews and that kind of thing because it's it it's that TV that hits the the right price point yeah. for for most people. And this year it's a four K screen, forty inch four K screen, six nine nine in the shops. You've got to think, okay, it's small for 4K, but as you've discovered, for it's quite a handy little monitor, isn't it? Yep. Um, it, in, in terms of a TV, um, it works. It has all the, the new smart stuff, the ties and stuff. It was all coming online as I was reviewing it, and I think there was some questions on the forums. I think iPlayer and Demand 5, uh, they are scheduled for end of May yeah. implementation. Everything yeah. else, though, was working when I reviewed it and working really well. And like you say, you know, the price of that screen... And the fact that it is 4K, um, the fact that it has the new ties and smart TV on there, um, yes, build quality is not great, but then they're building it to a price point. So yeah, exactly. you have to take that into consideration. And to be honest with you, you're only going to lift it once, place it in yeah. in in the living room, and never lift it again. So you're never gonna you're never gonna damage it in terms of uh, the build quality and so on. It's really plasticky, uh, but it has a nice metal effect finish, which unless you go up and touch it, you wouldn't really know that it was plastic. Um, so yeah, as a TV, astonishingly good, and it's 4K. So I, I'm with you, Steve. I think next year you're gonna be really pushing. So what, 60% what, what, this year. It's, it's 600 and something, isn't it? This one. 699. 699. The kicker is uh, 299 or 399. Um, that a lot of yeah, you will you will you point. will see that next year, if not from some of the budget lines this year, Bush have a 4K, which is not a great TV, but it's, it's, it's hitting the 499 
price point at the minute and it's a bigger screen as well so we might even see some Finlux stuff come in as well mark uh, which you might get in for review we, we're waiting on a courier turning up so i know what you're saying ed but i think you know in terms of uh, budget lines i think we're almost oh, no, no, there to be clear on this i still think mr hodgkinson is being unduly pessimistic but i think those those price points it might take until next year to to, to for, the, for the major brands yes i think budget brands i think we're already there Again, you know, um, I think when you're looking at that market anyway, you're looking at people who just walk into a supermarket and put one under their arm and take it to the checkout. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see, um, I think most TVs next year, most TVs, not all, but most, will be Ultra HD. What would be interesting is is not all, or not all Ultra HD TVs you know, are equal. Um, some are better than others. So it'd be interesting to see what their capabilities actually are. Because, I mean, it's a bit like in the old days, you know, you, you had full HD and and... 7 HD ready and you know people weren't always getting quite what they thought they were getting when they bought their TVs so we might find that um whilst it's a 4K panel it might be limited in other aspects so that's one of the reasons why this I, I, ultra I th- HD logo has been developed yeah but i think I, I don't think it's it's quite as as big an issue as it was with you know 720 1080 yeah, you're really um, for resolution enough, but i think uh, I, I think even when it comes to video processing i think you'd have to be pretty bloody bad to get it wrong Going from 1080 to 4K, yeah. So I'm struggling to see where the negative points are. The negative points are going to be LCD technology at that price point. The usual problems with LCD TVs. I don't think it will come down to the resolution. And that was the thing with that 40 inch. Um, we were only talking about resolution because it's not an HDR panel. It's, it didn't have a wider color gamut. And I, I don't think those things are really going to be of, of any interest in the mass market for another few years anyway. So all you are talking about is the resolution. And then when you're at a normal viewing distance, you're not going to notice the resolution. But are people going to care? Because they're just going to buy the TV anyway, aren't they? Because, as we say, there ain't going to be any 1080 models around. Have you been in Argos recently? No, but I was in uh, a supermarket that begins with T and ends in O. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tango. <laughs> What what really surprised me was I was looking at their electrical stuff over the weekend and they had some pretty big major name TVs from this last year, the full HD stuff, and they were really knocking it out cheap. And we're talking screens that were 12, 1400 quid from Panasonic and so on last year and they were knocking it out for like 400 well, that's the Argos model. They do last year's models mostly, don't they? So, uh, and that's when most TVs get sold still, isn't it, in this country, Argos? Yeah, yeah. But that, that the majority was a- of theirs this year are still 1080p, or they were in the Macclesfield showroom. The drivers on to kind of display everything, even in just the, the kind of lower retail giants, with 4K now. Because, you know, you go into most kind of electrical retailers and the big kind of display will be on a 4K set that is often cheaper than their best 1080p sets. Yeah, no, you know, that's, that's, that's totally that's the prominent display now. Yeah, that's totally the way it's gone, Mark. And and that was so obvious at the at the Panasonic convention. I think it's so obvious if you walk into in a major retail electrical retailer now and look at the current range of TVs, um, and then look at what's coming this year. It, it's going to be difficult just to find an HD TV. So that's it, you know that's the push forward. So I guess the the next thing is can the content catch up, Steve? Well, that's the real issue, isn't it? Um, you know, I mean, everyone talks about um, streaming as being a big saviour for Ultra HD, but and this is personal here, but I, I'm not going to see that for years. Right. So I you mean, went really, to you went to Infinity. What was it? Five weeks ago, six weeks I, ago. I upgraded to Infinity because they put fiber optic into the nearest um, exchange box to me, which is about two and a half kilometres away, and I and it, and it basically didn't work. Um, I was just losing my internet connection completely. Sorry, I, I don't understand. Years. I don't understand French. What's it in miles? Uh, what's that, that about a mile and a half? One point. Yeah. <laughs> Roughly. Roughly. And apparently that's about the, you know, that's really at the edge of what fiber optic can deliver down because obviously it stops being fiber optic and becomes a, you know, a copper wire the rest of the way to my house. Um, and so I had to go back to ADSL because I just wasn't getting a consistent service and I wasn't getting a particularly big increase in speeds anyway. So I'm, I'm looking at maybe two or three at the moment. Um, I think about a second if I'm lucky. Uh, last night I was having major problems trying to watch Game of Thrones and it was just buffering the whole time. You know, I know most people live in cities in this country and therefore probably have great broadband connections, but if you don't have a broadband connection that's at least, what, 15 to 20 megasecond mark, then yeah, yeah. at the moment at least Ultra HD just is a non-starter for you. So that means you're left with broadcast, maybe, soon, hopefully, um, and hot, hope, fingers crossed, Blu-ray 4K. Okay, before we get any further into the content side of things, this brings us back to a conversation we had 18 months ago, Ed, 
and what? I believe it was you that said 4G could be the saviour when it comes to bandwidth. Now, we're 18 months on. Where are we with that, then? Past, I haven't spoken to my colleague in telecoms recently, but um, it must be said, I did a, a, a speed check on my mobile uh, in London the other day when it was showing up 4G, and I got 26 megs down, um, which would handle... Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it would annihilate my monthly allowance in, uh, what was it, about seven minutes, <laughs> tops. So I'm not suggesting that it's, it's a flawless solution. The yep. way that we price and appreciate data would have to change significantly. But it is perfectly capable of delivering it. Um, I, I don't think that the rollout across the country has been anything like as quick as anyone would like. I still don't have any form of 4G connection at any point in Milton Keynes uh, it's only something that lurches into life when I go to London we see this is this was the other point I was going to merge this all together because again we're talking about 4G might be a solution but again you're going to be talking about major population areas where that's going to be available if you live out next to the sheep like Steve you're going to suffer with that as well because you're not going to be able to get 4G yeah. you're not going to be able to get 5G the only alternative I've got left really uh, is some sort of satellite delivery satellite but, over um, IP but isn't it Huawei or however you pronounce the magnificent Chinese conglomerate that they, they've got a very aggressive expansion, expansion plan for that due over the next 18 months to 2 years is from what I remember from The Economist um, so that's that's a possibility. I mean, as I understand it, depending that comes on with, pricing, obviously. Yes, that the, well, the, the the whole idea is that they can compete with the price of fibre, um, and it has to be done carefully because, as uh, I'm sure Mr. Botwright is more of an ex, an expert on this than me, the the ping to satellite is astronomical, as you might imagine. So it has significant issues in a two way system. But for just getting information down, it's pretty quick. And it's extremely stable as well. It doesn't seem... Because it, you, you're essentially not all congregating around... You, you, obviously, you're sharing satellites, but you're not congregating around the same hub in the same way. It doesn't slow down under under demand in, in, in anything like the same same manner. So, there's again, there's some possibilities there. Um, ultimately, there is just a degree of realism required. Yes, of course, it, all of these things are going to roll out where the most people are just an unavoidable fact of life i'm afraid so that's um, why a number of households still don't have gas yeah i mean i, I appreciate that, that that's the case ed but um you know and most of the time over my adsl connection is actually pretty good i mean surprisingly good you know when i watch things on amazon prime or i watch things on, on netflix or on now tv on the whole they actually deliver a really good picture quality <clears throat> which considering the limitations of my internet connection i'm always surprised that they can deliver that quality to me at all um so it was fine last night was an exception when now tv basically crapped out on me but it was my internet connection was just wasn't wasn't playing ball and i was just looking at a buffering logo for ages and ages i could imagine you know, also actually that there was a fair amount of demand on now tv as well it was fine for me just saying <laughs> no i don't think it was a demand thing it was there usually is yeah around about 10 o'clock but um uh, in this particular case, because I went and checked to my, my, you know, other things on my internet and it was just wasn't playing ball that to last night for some reason. Um, but that, to be fair, that's ex unusual. Normally I, I get, considering what I've got, I'm always amazed that content providers like Amazon and Netflix can actually deliver quality that they do over, over internet to me. But what it basically means is that unfortunately, even though those providers are now delivering Ultra HD 4K, it's not something I'm going to be able to enjoy anytime soon. Awesome. I'm in the smug position of having an extremely good internet connection. I could probably stream 4K right, yeah, th to three rooms simultaneously. Um, so I don't really care. Rot in hell. What have you watched in, in Ultra HD 4K streaming then? Uh, uh, House of Cards, Breaking Bad, and Daredevil. So, yeah. And Daredevil looked particularly good. With all the nighttime scenes, uh, even on there, it was a forty-nine inch TV, forty-eight inch TV, uh, and it, it looked it looked amazing. It's, it's you know it's as good as done it, possibly even better than Blue Lake. Blue, Blue Lake. <laughs> 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 uh, it looks stunning. It looks stunning. You get none of the you know none of the banding you get with um, even sort of seven twenty p, ten eighty p streams. It's, it it just looks incredible. Um, what's um what's Amazon doing in four K? Then what are their big shows? 
It's it's their uh, Bosch. Yeah, they've got. What, what was I watching? Wasn't it Vikings the one that you liked? Yeah, Vikings. Yeah, Vikings, isn't, Vikings isn't 4K, unfortunately. That's not produced by them, is it? That's actually um, yeah. a History Channel produces that, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that would look stunning in 4K. Absolutely gorgeous, I'd imagine, but um, unfortunately not. Um, yeah, it's, it's their, um, it's their ex- all, their, all their exclusive stuff and own produced stuff um, will be 4K going forwards. There's obviously films yeah. that you can buy as well, Mark, isn't there? Yeah. Several films. I, I don't. I don't. I don't buy digitally. Only. Uh, only rent, as it were. So yeah, it's 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 yeah. You know, as as I'd said, if you live in a in an area where your internet connection's poor, it's just it's just the way it goes. And, I, I think we, we should have a new feature called as Ed said. <laughs> as Ed said. <laughs> I think it's a good point, actually, Mark. You said you don't da- buy digital downloads. No, I don't pay eight ninety nine to own. No, no, I was wondering because I don't either. I mean, if I'm going to buy something, I want something physical. Um, well, obviously, for my internet connection, it wouldn't be an option anyway. It'd take forever to download it. But um, anybody else buy digital downloads? Not I mean, I'm talking about music yeah, all the time. Yeah, no, music, yeah. I'm thinking more about video here, so movies or TV shows or anything nope. like that. Anyone? Nope. No, I, I, like, I, like I told I, you, I don't feel compelled to own. Um, it's not a question of it being physical, or not, Steve. I just don't feel I own some Blu-rays by and large these days primarily because I am reviewing pieces of equipment and I can't get away with watching it on Sky Movies. So, um, yeah, it's no, there's no great... It's not that I, I don't have a, have a hang-up over physical media. It's I just can't... I just don't feel that way about on-screen stuff. But music downloads, I bought one this morning, in fact. You know, so, meh. Um, like I said to you, Steve, I'm back to buying Blu-rays. Uh, so I'm now supporting you. <laughs> Join a fight. Come uh, on, yeah. The 4K Blu-ray fan club has doubled in size. <laughs> uh, but only buy the cheapies out, out of that supermarket begins with T and ends in O because they, they, they do them for about eight quid to a tenner after a few weeks. So yeah, um, I've never downloaded a film and paid full price for it. Uh, I There's just something there. There's just a little barrier that says... Um, no, because usually kind of the stuff that I buy on Blu-ray is either something that I've already seen and so therefore I want to own it or it's something that cheap enough that I'm willing to take a punt. The, the pricing hasn't hit a low enough stage yet for me to kind of just take that risk on something just for, for the sake of downloading it when I, I may as well just rent it. you know. And also it seems slightly strange. I if you're paying a few pounds anyway to rent it digitally, by that point, you've already kind of paid whoever, you know, whichever business you're going through. And then it almost seems like, well, after that point, if I'm going to buy it, I'll buy it on Blu-ray and own it because it seems weirdly perverse to then go back to the same business and download it. And you'll, you've end up paying, you know, kind of 50% more through the same business. It just seems a bit weird. You know, you'd, you'd think there'd be some kind of a discount if you've already rented it or something like that. Oh, uh, yeah. I agree with that. I, I can't get my head around, and I think this I, this is where a lot of people have the issue, is getting their head around the fact that you're not going to have something in your hand even though you're you're handing over a tenner. I think that's that's the stumbling block for a lot of people. It's like, well, what am I getting? Yeah, but it's sitting on my computer, but what happens if my car drive crashes or what happens if this? You know, it's, it's And I know there's ways around that. You have it stored in the cloud and all the rest of it, but there's just that thing about, no, I'd rather have something in my hands, to be honest. But if you, if you like you if, when you download music, you tend to kind of I don't know about anyone else, but I tend to have it copied to multiple devices. I don't think people tend to do that with films, so perhaps that's where the kind of hang up comes from, the sense that it's just kind of sat on one device. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know you're gonna have it sitting in the cloud somewhere where like um, if you purchase iTunes and so on, and your phone gets wiped, or whatever, you can go in because there's a backup and so on. I know that all exists. There's still the hang up though that in your head, Ed. I think we should just do things that rhyme with Ed. In your head, Ed, um, there's that stumbling block of, I, I don't have something physical to hold. Well, I I don't know. Maybe I'm coming at this from a different angle. I've been dealing with smaller size downloads that are more commonly available and frequently the only way of securing something. That being the case, um, I just, you know, I have two NAS drives. There's one which is online all the time. And there's one that goes online once a week to back up any changes made to the one that's online uh, online all the time. Um, it doesn't strike. I mean, in the event of a house fire, 
I'll lose my content. But in the event of a house fire, I'll also lose my vinyl and any CDs that are in the roof. And I imagine I'll have bigger fish to fry. So it is what it is. Um, I just don't have the hang up about it. Don't I, I guess, again, maybe this is me being shaped by the fact that I still am actively involved in a physical format where, you know, or any any desire to hold it can be can be sorted out there but if there's a compelling reason to start buying films in this in this methodology and i would argue that if your broadband doesn't support getting them down in real time there might be because it's something you just pop on before you go to work and hopefully it's there when you come back you know um that there are long and informative articles on how to maintain backup and, and all the rest of it online so just have a look at them, see what you think. But even in Steve's case, if you popped it on in the morning to download while he was at work, you wouldn't be able to do any work. Well, no, okay, no, but again, true. Steve is a bit. Steve is a bit of an exceptional case, isn't he? I'm afraid, you know, whether we can do a rallying cry so that our nation's telecom companies, what about Steve? He, he still represents. Make a it a sli- hashtag. Yeah, he still represents a slightly unusual, unusual sort of point of. Yeah, of but Steve's always been unusual, isn't he? So. Well, yes. That's no, Steve, that. are you going to ask me a question? I'm, I was or... just going to say, completely off subject, have you seen that uh, turntable that reads vinyl using a laser? Yes, it's been around for some time, actually, although apparently it now almost works. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it does rather defeat the object. Uh, a very good friend of mine, a former editor of mine, spent a week and a half reviewing one some time ago. And he said, it's a technological masterpiece, but they have successfully made it sound like a CD player. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's quite something to behold. And it, it, it's, um, it's a, it, you know, it's, it's an answer to a question that very few people asked, but as an archiving piece of equipment where you can't sustainably play the material in question because you can't risk further degradation to it. It's an extraordinarily clever piece of equipment, but it was never really designed as a piece of hi-fi equipment. Okay, so um, on the running order, we had nothing, but we've successfully managed to fill in 48 minutes. With only mild bickering. (laughs) (laughs) Nature abhors a vacuum. Uh, So we'll move on to games news next. Okay, Mark, knock me out with some games news. That's usually the cue that you're going off for a piss. <laughs> we're, we're all going for a piss, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'll oh, listen, Mark. <laughs> um, well, uh, which do you want me to go for first? Surprise. All right. Um, well, we'll okay, we're going to do this. I'm most interested about your views on this Valve U-turn. Because the more I read about it, the more... I took on board all the things you said about the complexities over ownership and so on and so forth. But just seemed quite sensible what they were trying to do and then to to fold effectively also means they can they've done it in such a way as it's going to be a real struggle for them to ever revisit it yes um this news that valve have killed off their idea for steam workshop charges for mods um i I thought that the the quote that they gave when they basically had this climb down was quite telling quote was uh We've done this because it's clear we didn't understand exactly what we were doing. If any more people would say that. <laughs> it's incredibly forthright. Um, yeah, basically, it, it does seem as though it's a case of, to a certain degree, that the, the problem with Valve is that there is this perception that they're looking to kind of monetize everything. So they're always going to have to be incredibly careful. And it, 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 kind of much the same way as, you know, when Microsoft decided to, to bundle Connect with the Xbox One and, and everyone started thinking that, you know, the CIA was listening in on you. Some companies just have a bad reputation to start with or people are, are kind of unnecessarily cynical of them at times. Um, yeah, the, the problem was it, it, it's all about ownership and when you have things that are built upon each other in that kind of freeware model, um, this collective idea of, of building one thing upon something that's already come before and iterations and improving it, it becomes incredibly hard to then kind of retroactively monetize that. You know, how do you prove ownership? And then you had various mods being taken down because you couldn't prove it, because it, it some used animations from others. Um, I, I, it, it was nice, though, of Valve to do it very quickly because it was literally just as I'd finished writing an article about it. <laughs> <laughs> on all the ways that it was a poor decision and then they 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 basically killed it off um it 
yeah, I think you're right in that it makes it very hard now for them to ever go back and revisit it um, in the same way. Um, but th- there have always been ways to get money for these things. There have always been ways, you know, whether people ask for donations or whatever, you know, if if you could prove that you've, you've built something from the ground up, then you could host it on your own site. You could charge yourself. Um, but it just seems strange to try and harness a community that's already basically evolved past that point of making it about payment and then doing so. Mm. Yeah, point taken. And if we're on to money, um, Batman Arkham Knight will be a big game um, this year. And they've Warner Brothers have uh, released details of their season pass. This is so that you can get monthly downloadable content. Uh, we'll be supporting it for some time after release. And uh, I think this one's going to rumble on for a while simply because it's going to be £33. Which is no, no. This is for oh. for the season pass for everything, but the problem with this is is that when you're releasing this information before the game's out, it will inevitably lead to cries that you've cut content from the game itself in order to repackage it and sell it to people. Which uh, they have, haven't they? Well, well it, it depends which way you look at it. On the one hand, you could say. You've developed a game and you've decided that you want to continue supporting it, and so therefore you've got, um, you know, separate teams. You've decided X amount of content constitutes a full game, and then you want people to continue playing that game for several months afterwards. So you want that con- extra content right away to kind of keep your fans on side. It, but the problem with that is, is that it, you know, that has to be developed at the same time, which leads to accusations that you're kind of taking away from the central game and you're just repackaging content. Um, they've said that you'll get a prequel story expansion where you can play as Batgirl and new Batman story missions and I think there's even going to be some Batmobile racing. Uh, but it really does muddy the waters with regards what's in the actual game to begin with. So, yeah, as I say, I think this one will rumble on for some time. Presumably, it's, it's full retail price. This this will cost you. Yeah, the the game yeah, is on be... top. You got you got the thirty three pound on top. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's one way of doing it. You know, um, it's at the opposite end of the the kind of idea of small micro transactions, which a lot of people are kind of worried about. In a way, it's kind of you know a different type of pervasive model. Um, but uh, you know the argument is always the same, which is if you don't want it, you don't have to pay for it. And as long as the game is good, yeah, as long as it's full enough, yeah. The the only problems will be if the game isn't excellent to start with, and if it's not one hundred percent stable and polished at launch, it will lead to those accusations that you know their focus isn't on fixing a game that you know should be their main priority, and it's on you know. Do they have a track record either way in this regard, Mark? I mean, are we talking about the potential for it to be something as as particularly unfinished as Assassin's Creed? Or well, I, but I think the previous um, Batman, uh, I forget which one it was, but they had a um, a Catwoman expansion, which was basically seen as exactly this, which was cut content, um, something that could have appeared in the game. Um, but it was just repackaged so that it could be sold to people. And so, yeah, um, it, it's becoming more and more frequent now. I mean, Destiny, when that was re- released, already had you know plans for the DLC. However, that had this, at least that had the mitigating factor of they needed to keep a community of people being a multiplayer game on side. So you need to keep on telling people that you will keep supporting it and that there's a reason to come back with this you know, being largely single player, it just does seem more like it's kind of, you know, sectioning off particular types of content and charging for each. Right. Your final bit of news, Mark, is that the PS4 sales have hit two million, about to be two million and one in the UK. Two, two million and one. Are you buying one? I'll have to if I'm going to play Battlefield. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. PS4 hitting two million in the UK. Quicker to that... Uh, to that level than the PlayStation 2, which is obviously the kind of big news given that was Sony's huge success and also the one they've they've tried to kind of evoke with the design of the of the ps4 in many ways um best-selling console in the uk in 2015 and worldwide they're over 22 million units which certainly puts them in pole position now is the xbox one not cheaper now 
Did I did I see that correctly when I was in that supermarket begins with T and ends? That's going to have to be the one of the questions for next month's competitions. Um, Xbox One has had some fantastic bundles for a long time and and has been, certainly from kind of retailer-led price cuts, been cheaper at times. Uh, I think they're both now officially, are they both at 299? Yeah, I think they're. Um, But yeah, the Xbox One has had some kind of great bundles for a long time that's that's put it a little bit cheaper. Um, But obviously, I don't think we know full um, the sales figures for the Xbox One because Microsoft have kind of hidden behind numbers shipped for a certain amount of time. I know last November it was that they shipped 10 million worldwide. Um, so they're a little bit behind in terms of when they hit the 1 million mark. They did that uh, last November for the UK uh, when the PS4 was in September. So you you would assume that given there hasn't been any great fanfare other than a few weeks, and I think one month when the Xbox One was out selling it, that generally the PlayStation 4 lead has grown in the UK. No. This is the this is the thing that always gets me now. Sony call it PS4 sales, and Microsoft say ship. So ship and sales is completely different, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, one is what has gone into a customer's hands. The other is what is sitting in a retailer's warehouse. Um, it's it's a kind of it, it's one way to to massage the figures, you could say, um, but. It, it all depends on, on what the disparity is. I mean, if there are kind of warehouses, as, as we saw with um, the Microsoft uh, Surface tab, I think there were, you know, however many millions sitting in warehouses and that kind of thing. Um, it, it all depends how many are kind of sat on shelves, how many are in warehouses, and how many will actually end up in, in customers' hands. Okay. Is that games news? I think that is games news. Bill, before you end, well, I took your advice. I watched Atari Game Over over the weekend. And it was really good. Talking about unsold, unsold units. Yeah, yeah. And some some real characters in there as well, wasn't there? It was interesting because it kind of addressed three different uh, urban myths relating to the early days of the video game industry, and then essentially sort of exploded them one by one. So um, I think the myths in question were that ET was the worst game ever made, that the game ET destroyed Atari, and that <clears throat> they buried three million cartridges in a desert in um, in New Mexico. Yeah, and it was all untrue. Oh, it's shit. Well, spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were some cartridges, weren't there? Oh, yeah, there was yes, cartridges no, there, they, but there wasn't a few million. Sold stuff, not yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I watched it as well. well but yeah. It was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. I felt really sorry for the poor sod that uh, uh, Gary, um, well, I don't know, the one that was a bit of a high-flying game designer and did things like Yark's Revenge and then uh, got five weeks to develop the game in and probably yeah. the best job he could in five weeks, to be honest, yeah. and then that destroyed his career. Ended up as a psychiatrist, did it? Yeah, psychiatrist in Silicon Valley. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, if you haven't seen it, it's just definitely worth checking out. It's a good fun. All right, Mark, is that now games news? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that is games news. Have you seen this documentary yet? No, I still haven't seen it. I'm, uh, yeah, I keep meaning to. I, I, I need to put it on my list. Just watch it. It's only an hour, an hour and a bit. An hour. It's an hour. Know, that's two person of interest episodes. No, not, not, yeah, but hour. yeah, but Mark's supposed to be interested in games. Yet he's he, he's the gamer, <laughs> and everybody else he's watched the bloody thing except for him. Well, I'm watching Magnum PI right now, so I think <laughs> yeah. I can find time for it. You're, when you say right now, you're watching it right now, aren't you? <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's not a bad episode. Okay, Steve, what's at the cinema? Quickly. Well, I wanted to go and see uh, Monsters uh, Dark Continent, but it wasn't showing at my local cinema, so I went to go and see Far From the Madding Crowd instead, which is um, the second film adaptation of the novel by Thomas Hardy. The first one was done in 1967, starring Judy Christie and Terence Stamp. This one stars Kerry Mulligan as Bathsheba um, Everdeen. I've just suddenly realised that's obviously where the Everdeen name came from for, uh, for Hunger Games which didn't occur to me before. Um, and I have to say, generally, I, I totally agree with Cassandra's review of the film, which is that um, it's got some really good bits to it, but I felt as if it could have been a bit longer. Um, you know, you're adapting a fairly chunky novel. The original film was nearly three hours long. This is two hours long, and you don't get a lot of uh, insight into the motivations of the three men in it. There's basically this woman and three different suitors. Uh, one is sort of a steadfast um, local, you know, local type who's a farmer, um, Although I have to say, I'm going to make a point here. As a West Countryman, there was a distinct lack of West Country accents in this film. It also has a brilliant opening title where it says um, Dorset, 1850 or something like that, 200 miles outside London. 
was like, what? <laughs> That's most of the UK. <laughs> Obviously, that was for the American market, I assume, but um, unnecessary in my opinion. Um, no, no, West The guy playing this farmer, Gabriel, um, he's actually Belgian and his accent didn't seem to go all over the place, but mostly to Belgium. You should be Asians. thankful they didn't attempt the West Country accent. Yeah, they should have gone for the full West Country. Can't beat it. Anyway, there's, there's him. There's a sort of um, older, richer man who wants to look after her, paper Michael Sheen, who's really making it sort of corner of the market in sort of button-down, repressed characters these days. And there's also a sort of a flashy, um, reckless uh, soldier played by Tom Sturridge. That was the Terence Stamp part. And this guy ain't no Terence Stamp, I have to say. Um, he lacked the charisma for the part, in my opinion. Um, and then she has to basically decide who's, who's, who's appropriate for her and this sort of stuff. So it's kind of a romantic drama. I thought it advertised in the, I think it was the Guardian called it a romantic comedy. Mm, no, this is Thomas Hardy. There's not many laughs in Thomas Hardy story. Um, but it was a beautifully shot, um, well acted. Um, uh, could have done with being, I think, a bit more motivation for the male characters, but certainly uh, Carrie Mulligan is excellent in it, as she usually is. Uh, and I didn't realise until um, Cassandra mentioned in a review, but suddenly it was really obvious that they'd reused the plot of this of this story for the film Tamara Drew. Um, and one of the char- one of the actresses in this film played basically the same part in Tamara Drew as well. I noticed, but anyway, uh, I think she gave it seven out of ten. I would agree with that. Seven out of ten is probably about right. It's um, it's enjoyable if you if you like romantic dramas. Romantic um, period dramas, should I say. Uh, and it's a fairly good adaptation of the book, although I think the original I-67 film is superior. Okay, so at this point, I think the, the burning question is, how many major movies can we name where um, the characters had West Country accents? Um, I think I'll go with Excalibur. Hot Fuzz. Oh, or at least since you mentioned Excalibur, by the way, uh, sad news that Nigel Terry died at the weekend. He played um, uh, Arthur. But yes, he did do a West Country accent, and that was good to see that. Yes, and you said Hot Fuzz, Ed, uh, bang on the money. Yeah, I watched that the other night. I only went to watch one scene and ended up watching the whole thing. Hilarious, that film. It really is. Everyone's um, packing around here. I'll, uh, I've got one. Solomon Kane. Oh, yeah. West, West Country hero, even. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Botwright. Um, there's got to be something with pirates in it that's had West Country accents. <laughs> Jamaica in. Oh, I'm mumbling. You couldn't understand anything anyone said on that, even if you were from the West Country. <laughs> so how many is that we'll manage then? Because that last one was a TV programme. So It was a movie as well, wasn't it? Was it? I think so. It must it was, uh, Hitch- Hitchcock did a film of Jamaica in. Yeah. I don't know if it was West Country. It was shot in America, so it might oh. be slightly less than realistic. West of America. Did, did Mackenzie Crook do uh, a West Country accent in the Pirates of the Caribbean films? I think you might be right there. It was some kind of accent, anyway. <laughs> I think inherently, if you're doing a pirate accent, it tends to verge on West Country anyway, doesn't it? It's difficult not to sound like West Country if you're doing a pirate accent. Time or team. sound like a pirate if you're doing a West Country accent. Time, Time team. <laughs> no, Phil Harden. There used to be a show on BBC Two years and years ago, like in the late 70s, early 80s, late 70s, I think it was. And it was called Crep Bristle, where basically they taught you how to speak with a Bristol accent. That was quite funny. The dog out of Jamie and the Magic Torch. Nice. Well, he had a West Country accent. <laughs> Wordsworth. Wordsworth, not Wellington. Yeah, yeah I watched that only yesterday, actually. Good, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so and, we're agreed then that we need more West Country accents in films. No, 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 you, no that's you not need what we said. In kind of, you want one or two. If, if anyone's seen, um, I saw about 10 minutes of the J.K. Rowling um, TV adaptation of The Casual Vacancy. And that, I believe, is kind of West Country set, isn't it? And there yes, were is. th- yes. there were kind of when you have numerous people trying to do a West Country accent, and you've got like a family, and none of them are doing the same accent, <laughs> it doesn't work at all. You want one or two people, and then you can get away with the kind of dodgy, you know, kind of accentuated Bristolian or something. Isn't Robbie Coltrane doing a West Country accent in Harry Potter? Actually, now I think about it, or attempting it at least. I'm trying to think. It's just. I'm just trying to think. Films set in Devon and Cornwall, uh, and they're. Oh, all... what about uh, what was um, Straw Dogs? Oh yeah, <laughs> didn't do much for the tourist industry. I want to admit. <laughs> Did the other Cornetto trilogy one, The End of the World, isn't that set? Uh, no, that's not West Country, is it? I don't no, know. It's more sort of satellite of London, I think, isn't it? One of the sort of um, new towns in the, around London, I think. Um, uh, and then no, I'm 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 all out of ideas. Okay, so. Uh... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Thanks for that. We'll come back to next week. <laughs> we'll come, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do all the accents of Great Britain. 
and where they're featured in if, films. If you can think of any other films, <laughs> listeners, please put it in the thread below. <laughs> if you must. Uh, right, films opening this Friday. Uh, we've got Spooks, The Greater Good, which is the film I did, that, that, the I, we just We just mentioned Hot Fuzz, The Greater Good. That just Hot Fuzz to me. The Greater Good. Tits. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Spooks is not called that in America. Um, they call it MI5 over there for obvious reasons. But here it's still Spooks and it's Spooks the Greater Good with Kit Harrington uh, and Peter F- Firth. Peter Firth's pretty much the only person from the TV series who's made a transition to the film, but um, uh, that review will be up before the film opens because uh, Shuren has already seen it last week for us. Um, and I'm quite looking forward to it. Actually, I always enjoyed Spooks. So um, I'm looking forward to that. There's also Big Game, which is Samuel L. Jackson, who's the President of the United States, which seems unlikely. And, I, I, think, uh, I think this one's just played completely tongue-in-cheek for laughs right from the start i mean even the trailer is is just way over the top i'm the I president the way of the united all of the stuff states they're doing on twitter is, is tag, tagged with the general election hashtag <laughs> just just to further, further confuse desperate marketing <laughs> um and the age of adeline um adeline sorry age of adeline uh, which is a woman <laughs> yes, exactly. How I described it to Phil this morning. <laughs> Benjamin Button with a woman, yes. Um, uh, and Harrison Ford's in the cast, though. So, and I, I don't know who they've hired to play the young version of Harrison Ford in that film, but he really, really looks like him. It was really impressive. So maybe, um, the, maybe the next Indiana Jones, then? Well, he plays his cars right. <laughs> or a young Han Solo. You can't go wrong. <laughs> with all the films that Disney have got lined up for Star Wars universe, basically, if you look like Harrison Ford, you could be onto a winner. So anyway, that, that's what's opening on Friday. Okay. And... Um... Let's have a look at some Blu-rays and see if there's any worth me going to that supermarket that begins in T and ends in O to go and buy some. Uh, yeah, you probably won't find any of these. Well, first of all, John Wick. We've got a review coming up of that this week by Simon. But in fairness, this is a review of a Dutch import. I've already got the US release. It hasn't actually got a date set yet for its UK Blu-ray release. The interesting thing about John Wick is, apart from that, it's a very good film. I uh, really enjoyed it. Um, is that it's got an Atmos soundtrack, as I mentioned earlier, uh, and it's really good Atmos soundtrack. Okay, so, so the US, is that multi-regioned, or is it... Uh, the the US locked? is region A, um, the Dutch import is region B, so um, if you can't play region A, then the Dutch import is your best bet. It is, you know, it has got the full English language soundtrack, it hasn't got any burnt in um, subtitles or anything like that, so, you know, and, it's, and it's, it's, it had all the same extras as well. And is that available on that, that um, shopping website that begins with A and ends in N? Uh, it is available at Amazon, yes, as is everything else. <laughs> um, yeah, so John Wick, uh, if, if you're interested, you can get it um, on import from, from Holland for a pretty reasonable price, actually, 15 quid, and it is a great film worth checking. And it was just announced um, over the weekend uh, that they're doing John Wick 2, uh, with all the same cast, and um, well, not all the same cast, but most of the same cast, certainly Keanu Reeves and the same crew behind it, writers, directors. Um, so that's quite exciting, looking forward to that. We've got The Theory of Everything, the film about Stephen Hawking. That's coming out on Blu-ray this week. Uh, and uh, Kansas is reviewing that. The Long Good Friday. Um, this is one of the Arrow's um, new Blu-rays. And I've got to say, uh, I'm quite tempted to pick this up myself because I think it's a fantastic film. Uh, they've done a great job on the sound and picture, apparently, according to Simon. Good selection of extras. Um, yeah, definitely worth picking up. And you've also got... Coming out soon, um, Nymphomaniac, the director's cut. So if there wasn't enough sex in the previous version of Nymphomaniac, there's now an extra hour and a half of stuff. It's like so it's parts one and two, it runs for five and a half hours. Um, and so if you fancy a bit of that, good luck. <laughs> uh, right, so very quickly, because we are um fast running out of time. We had this discussion a few weeks ago, uh, which uh franchise did we think was gonna be the big winner in terms of income, and Avengers has already fallen at the first hurdle. I'm relatively speaking, Phil. It was the second biggest opening of all time in America. So, but it wasn't as high as the Avengers, and I, I think people thought it would probably just stop it, but it didn't. It came. It sort of ended up between Avengers and Iron Man three. So better than Iron Man three, but not as good as the Avengers. But yeah, it's taken six hundred million worldwide. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm surprised. I, I thought it would. I thought it would top it. With you know, when you consider things like inflation and ticket prices and everything else, you know, and the demand and interest in the film, I thought it would do slightly better than it did. Um, but it, you know, maybe this is the beginning of the bubble bursting. As far as people are just getting sick of so many um, comic book from, comic book movies at the moment, superhero movies. I was sick of them before they all started. <laughs> I'm with you on that one, Mark. I don't think they're going anywhere. Well, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, they have managed to hound Joss Whedon off Twitter. So um, <laughs> you have. I haven't done anything. Of I thought sort, you said I've managed to. He, he has been. I, I believe a, a a vocal contingent of people uh, unhappy at the well, treatment of like the film. has oh. uh, 
Yeah. I, has I, there I, ever been anyone sane who high profile who hasn't been hounded off Twitter at some point? James Blunt, because his method of dealing sane. with people on Twitter. No, he's perfectly <laughs> sane. James Blunt Twitter is a masterpiece on just how to respond to people who are mouth breathers. It's fantastic. It's almost almost worth forgiving him for his music. Almost. <laughs> we can at least still thank him for stopping World War Three when he was a soldier. Yes, that too. If, if, if that's all he ever does, then that's probably enough, to be honest. I don't know why. I just imagine his Twitter account being a bit like the boring James Milner. Go and have a look at it. It's brilliant. It's exactly how celebrities should deal with idiots. It is perfect. The really, really good news, of course, is that uh, Fast and Furious 7 is now over 1.4 billion worldwide and fast approaching the Avengers um, in terms of uh, worldwide box office. Um, so it could end up being the third most successful film of all time, or in fact, the most successful film of all time not made by James Cameron, which would be brilliant. That would make me very happy. This is the good news. <laughs> it's good news as far as I'm concerned, uh, well, at least until Star Wars opens, when uh, actually all bets are off, probably. But Yeah, I think Star Wars is going to wipe the floor with all of that. Yeah. Well, we shall see. Okay, and on that bombshell, it's time to end the podcast this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. The Mafia of Shittum. Mark Hodgkinson. That was my line as well. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get in there. I'm amazed no one used it at the beginning. Yeah. It's Good Friday. Ever bloody Mary. <laughs> Are we back to the West Country accents? <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was a shit Cockney accent. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I can't do that. <laughs> uh, Mark Botwright. The human spirograph. I'm dead silly. Here, give yourself another prick. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and video. Plus, you can also leave us our rating on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. Uh, I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we will see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.